welcome everybody who's tuning in online. Welcome all our guests and, and everybody that's here. If you're just joining us, we've kind of dedicated the first part of this year to talking about what it looks like for us to become different, to not just live like the rest of the world around us, to not just go into the flow of our culture, but what does it look like for us to be different? And we spent the first part of this series talking about how to think different. The last few weeks, we've been really getting practical on how do we live different. Here's what I know. Most of us probably going to this year, we would have said, there are things I want to see change in my life. And can I tell you, sometimes in order to move in a new direction, in order to go into a a change, you're actually going to have to like, you're going to have to step into something that's uncomfortable. I kind of feel like um, sometimes my job is to push you. If you feel like the last couple weeks I've been pushy, if you feel like I'm someone but getting in your face, sometimes you need a push in a new direction. Amen? Come on, do me a favor. If you know the person next to him, next to you, would you just give them a little bit of a push and just say, you need a new direction. Just shove them a little bit. If you don't know them, don't do that. That's inappropriate. You're going to start a fight. But if you're single and she's cute, maybe a little push. Just a, hey, what's up, girl? You know, just a pastor. You, you see, I want you to understand if you're going to be a part of this church, I don't see myself as just your pastor. I'm also your pusher. Okay, that doesn't mean what I wanted it to mean. I just mean in life, okay? I, I want to, I'm here not just to, um, to, to say what you want to hear, but to say what God's word says so that we can all go into a new direction. And, and uh, I'm excited for what God has in his word today. And so would you just do me a favor, would you bow your heads? Let's just pray and ask God to speak to us. God, I don't want this moment to pass us by as just another fleeting moment where maybe we just think it was our duty to show up and go to church on Sunday to somehow make you happy with us. But God, I pray that in these next few moments that you would open up our hearts to hear directly from your spirit. God, not the things that I feel like I'm supposed to say, but what you are going to illuminate in our hearts today. God, help us to be different. God, I want to be different. And I'm asking you to help me to be a different person this year. God, we thank you for these moments that we get to just sit at your feet sometimes and hear from you. And so God, speak to us. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Everybody said... Come on, can you give him praise one more time? You can be seated. If I sound a little more manly today, it's um, it's just because I've been dealing with a sinus thing, so you'll have to excuse me if I... Sometimes I sound cool when I'm like, they're like, hey, what's up, babe? You know what I mean? Honey, do you like it when I have this deep voice? I don't know, I can't tell if my wife likes it or not, but she's like, head down, head down. I'm just going to look at the Bible. Don't talk to me like that. You know, when you're taking cold medication, you get a little surly. So I don't know what's about to come out today. I'm just, I don't know. Is anybody here, would you just kind of say that you're kind of, um, you operate at a really up-tempo, fast pace in life? Raise your hand if you're kind of a, if you're a fast-paced person in life. I am. 
I always like to move at a quick pace everything that I do. I think our culture is kind of like that. I remember when I was about 14 and our family picked up and we moved over to Germany, we moved from Columbus, Ohio, all the way over to Germany. And I remember the shock of what it was like to step into a new culture where the language was different and the money was different and the food was different. And you know what else we discovered was different? I don't know if it's like that today, but the pace was different. I remember my dad got a a job. He was a pastor, and before that he was a mechanic. And when we moved over to Germany with the military, he got a job at the motor pool working as a mechanic. And he was working with several German nationals that were also on the base working. And I remember him describing that the pace that they worked at was a lot slower than his pace. Um, Not only was the pace they worked at slower, but in Germany at the time, full-time was 37 and a half hours a week. Yeah, everybody like, we should do that. 37 and a half hours. I mean, you got to get the half hour. 30, they did not work a second over. And, and the foreman would come up to my dad and he would say, too schnell, too schnell. You're working too fast and you're making the rest of them look bad. <laughs> the, the pace was very different. And when you think about it, the American way, the American culture, I think we'd all probably agree that our pace in America here is go, go, go. We run full tilt. We we try to get in as much as we can in life. We're working more, sleeping less. How many of you know that? We've got so many things to accomplish. We've got all these dreams. We've got things, and we're just filling our lives so much. And I wonder if maybe we fill every moment because we want to live full lives. I think I do. I imagine you do. I want my life to be full. I want my life with my family to be full. I want my life with my career or ministry to be full. I want to know that by the time I get done in life, that I did it to the full, that I live life so well that I just, and so here's what we do. We cram everything in. Because I want to fill my life. Here's what I would say is that we are living busy lives. But can I say this? I'm not sure we're living better lives. I mean, we're living busy lives, but I'm not sure it's better. Now, now Jesus said something very interesting about a full life. John 10.10. Here's what Jesus said. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the what? Everybody say it out loud, to the full. Now, I know sometimes we hear that and we think, oh, that must be eternal life, but, but my life here and in eternity is the same life. When he says the full life, I don't just think it's one day, I think it's today. That he said, I have come so that people can actually experience a full life. I, I would think though that the, problem is when we hear that, we think, oh, that means I've got to do a lot of things. I don't think Jesus, when he meant a full life, meant full schedules, overwhelmed, overworked, stressed, miserable, families frayed. I just don't picture that's what Jesus meant when he said a full life. Can I, can I say this to you? That you can have a full schedule without living a full life. Can I, and I just say that I think that's actually how a lot of people in our culture are living today. We have full schedules, but I'm not so sure that we're living full 
lives. Today I want to talk about something that we don't have very much of in our culture today. Something that a lot of people, I think when I look at the world around me today, I would say this one thing is something that very few of us have, and that is margin. Very few of us are living today with margin in our lives. Let me give you a quick definition for margin. I didn't come up with this. Andy Stanley, he's a pastor and a a, a writer, but um, he came up with this really great definition, a simple definition of margin. Margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. The amount available, think about that for a moment. The amount available beyond what is required, beyond what is necessary. So when when you think about all the things you have to get done today, you think about all the tasks and the stuff you got to do and the prep for the weekend, all this good stuff. When when you were, if you finish everything and you still have a little bit of time left, that would be margin. Uh, Margin in your finances would look like this. You paid all the bills for the month and there's still a little bit of money left in your checking account. To which you go, that's a miracle. And I would say, no, that's margin. Right? Margin would be like the, the space on the road outside the lines. You know how they give you lanes and they're big enough for vehicles. And, and then there's always a little bit extra that they pave. And why do they pave that extra? That's the margin. It's because sometimes, listen, we get distracted. And when we get distracted, you ever notice you get distracted, you start to drift and you go past the line and you go. And thankfully that they sometimes give you a little bit of extra space margin. It's so you don't wreck yourself. Can I, can I say something? Margin in our lives is actually something that can keep us from wrecking our lives. And here's the thing. In our culture, we don't have margin for anything. We we don't have margin for time. Like, I I don't know if you're one of those people that are perpetually late. Any perpetually late people, raise your hand. Just own it. Just own it. You're late all the time. I don't know if you missed the first song. It was really good. But anyways... Do you know why you're always late? Well, you know, I, I got up and then the dog, the dog was, had trouble and I had to clean up this mess. And, and then I left for work and I, and I about left for just, I, I mean, I think I had enough time. It was running a little bit late, but then I know I could have made it. I just go a little bit fast, but then I hit every stupid red light there was on the way. I'm telling you, the devil's trying to steal, kill, and destroy something in my life. No, 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 no. The problem is you don't have enough margin. We don't have margin in our time. We don't have margin in our schedule. We don't have margin in our lives. And we're living really, really busy lives. And I heard one person say once, I don't even know who it was, originally quoted this, but said this, if our enemy can't get us to be bad, he just tries to get us to be busy. And so I feel like in our culture today, there's a badge of honor that comes with being busy. You know, we wear, it's like, well, yeah, I work really hard. I work two jobs and I, I work extra and, and then I, I work extra. And sometimes, that's the reason why I can't sometimes get to church on Sunday because I'm, you know, just like, because I'm building something, I'm building a business, I'm building something that's really good. And it's like, in, in our country, we, we think so much of life is about achieving. It's about doing, it's about accomplishing. This is the world we live in. And sometimes we actually overlook what might be the most important thing, which is who we're becoming. What does it look like to live a better life? I want to show you a brief story today. If you've got your Bible with you, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. It's a story that some of you are going to be very familiar with. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It's a 
story of two sisters that both had the same kind of opportunity. They have the same moment. It's actually an incredible moment. But they use this opportunity differently. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Are you there? Luke 10, verse 38. Are you there? Are you awake today? All right, because listen, it ain't easy to preach when you're dealing with this. So you got to help me out a little bit, okay? Luke 10, 38 says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was what? Can you all say that word out loud? Martha was, she was distracted by all the preparations. Notice this, that had to be made. She came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care? My sister has left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her, get up and help me, Jesus. Come on. You see me in the kitchen slaving away? Mary's just over there having fun. Tell her to get, then this isn't fair. Here's what's interesting. I was thinking about this. Um, these two sisters have the same kind of moment. This is actually an incredible moment, if you think about it, where the one and only Jesus, this is the one that everybody's talking about. This is the one that's performing miracle after miracle, healing, teaching, crowds flocking. He ends up coming to their house. Martha invites him in to her house. Now, I've looked at this story so many different times, and we don't know the full dynamic of the family. I like to think that Martha was probably the older sister because she's the one with the house. You know what I mean? And Mary, maybe she's still living at home. Maybe she's living with her sister. We, we don't know. But Martha is the one who feels the responsibility of the situation. Can we all agree? And, and I think Martha gets a bad rap, but listen, Martha's the one who actually is paying the mortgage and has the house. Martha's the one who's got the food in the refrigerator in the first place. So let's not be so hard on Martha. But Martha is the one who feels the responsibility. Can I just tell you, for those of you that feel the responsibility of life, that sometimes it's easy to get distracted by what's lesser important, no, seriously, I mean, I get it too. When you're the one that's gotta, you know, you're the ones, the mom and the dad that you gotta take care of everything. And the kids, they don't have to worry about the insurance. They don't have to worry about paying taxes and they don't, and they don't have to worry about paying the mortgage and they don't have to worry about the food. And they don't have to worry about where are we gonna go on vacation, mom and dad, where are we gonna, when you feel the weight of responsibility, I get it. I can identify with Martha. Martha's like, he came over. And by the way, it was customary that when a guest came over and stayed at your house, I think it's the same today, but back then, you provided something. You took care of them. Here's water to wash your feet. Let me provide a meal for you. That was customary in their day. She's doing everything you should do, really, when anybody comes over. But this wasn't just anybody. This was Jesus. And so in this, in this um, picture, here's what we get. Mary is sitting with Jesus at his feet, listening to him, just absorbing every moment with the one who is the savior of the world, the son of God who stepped out of heaven and into their living room. And she's just there. But Martha, it says, was distracted by all the things she had to do. And I thought, you know, that's how I think a lot of us feel is that we can end up getting distracted by all the things we feel we have to do. All, all the things, I'm so busy, I don't know if you're busy, but I think we're all busy. 
And I feel like there's so many things, we're all so distracted by all the things we have to do. And can I just say it? A lot of times we, we, we think that, you know, when we get distracted from being with God, it's always, you know, we're, are we choosing between that is good and that which is bad? Can I just tell you, most of the time that it's actually we're choosing between what is good and what is better. That's the actual real challenge. What is good and what is better? Like uh, uh, Stephen Covey who comes along and he gives us this incredible business stuff about time management that can I just say, he actually probably adopted from Jesus 2000 years earlier. But Stephen Covey, have you ever seen his time management with the four quadrants, you know? He says you break things up and it's really life is about the urgent versus the important. The immediate versus the important. And the problem is, is that most of us end up getting sucked into the urgent. We get sucked into the immediate. We get sucked into the things that are, are, are busy and they're urgent, but they might not be as important. And that's what's really happening in this moment with Jesus. Martha's doing something really good. She really is. She, she is in this moment. She's serving Jesus. Mary's doing something better. She's taking advantage of this moment to just be with him. Because guess what? Soon he's going to leave, and neither Jesus nor the rest of them are going to remember exactly what they ate and how good the meal was. But Mary, she's going to remember every single thing that Jesus spoke into her soul in that moment. And so, so here they are in this situation, and Martha's saying, Jesus, come on, don't you care? It seems unfair. Tell my sister to get up and help me. And Jesus' response is actually very telling. Look at verse 41 and 42. Martha, Martha, and I think he said that with just such love for her. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about what? About many things. You feel overwhelmed and stressed and pulled in a lot of directions. It's because we are thinking about many things. Notice what he said, verse 42, but, everybody say that little word out loud, but few. Everybody say it again, but, but few things are needed. And if we actually boil it all down to what really matters in this life, indeed it's only one. I mean, I mean, few things are necessary. I know we got some things, but there's only one thing in this world that really, really matters. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. I want you to notice the power of what Jesus says to Martha in this moment. And I believe that it, if it was appropriate then, can I just say it might be even that much more appropriate today in our culture. But, but what does he say to her? You're worried about many things. You're pulled in a lot of directions. You're stressed because you're thinking about too much. This is, this is our culture, guys. We're obsessed and we're thinking about many different things. And Jesus said it so calmly and so powerfully. He said, but few things are needed. See, see the, the problem is today is that we have lost an understanding of what is necessary. Let's be real. We, we've kind of lost a sense of what's really necessary because I, I'm the kind of person, I want to have it all. I do. I want to have it all. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want the career to go well, and I want to live in a certain house, and we want to drive certain cars, and we want to have a certain lifestyle, and we want to be able to take these vacations, and we want to be able to put our kids in this college, and I want my kids to do everything, and I never did. We want to we have it all. 
And Jesus says, you're focused on many different things and that's why you're worried. That's why you're anxious. That's why you're stressed. We wonder why anxiety is climbing through the roof. It's because we're obsessed because we gotta have it all, a full life. And Jesus said, but only a few things are necessary. What is necessary? You know what, you know what I've found? This is one of the things I love about talking to people that are older than I am. Talk to people who are retired. Talk to people that have been through life a little bit. And all of a sudden you kind of find out that they're not obsessed about where they live. And they can drive a vehicle that's 10 years old and they don't care. And the only thing, you know, if you've got a grandparent still alive or if you're young enough, maybe a great grandparent, well, every time you talk to them, you ever notice that they get so excited when the family comes over and that's all they care about? Christmas, don't bring me a gift, show up. You know why? It's because at the end of life, after chasing all those things, they've discovered what is actually necessary. So I, I think sometimes we get confused in this life as what is necessary. What's well, necessary to have all these things and to accomplish all these things and to be, we think that's what's necessary. And I would argue one of the things, and I struggle with this, is that we have made unnecessary things necessary. The lifestyle I want to live, is it really that important? Well, I think it's really important that we kind of, Jesus would say, not if you lose your soul. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? What is, it, what is it good to have all of that success but then not have a family because you neglected them because you didn't have margin in your life? And then he said something at the end of verse 42. Can you put verse 42 back up? Put, put verse 42 real quick. That was, that was good. I want people to see this. Right? You're worried about many things. Few things are needed, indeed only one. Notice said, Mary has, say that word, Mary has what? Mary has chosen what is better. Mary has chosen what is better. Let's just think about that for a moment. Here's what I want you to see. If you feel stressed and overwhelmed, we don't have enough, we don't make enough, I don't have enough time. I can't get kids to everything we need to get them to. I, I want us to understand something today. And again, this might be me being a little bit pushy, but your schedule is what you've chosen. That's what you've chosen. The life, the pace that you're living, you chose it. Okay, I know there's some circumstances where all of a sudden life got difficult and you've had to pick up extra work. Okay, but can I say for 98% of us, the busyness of our life is we, something we've chosen. And many times it's because we've made unnecessary things necessary. So we got to cram it all in. And what Jesus would say is you're choosing all these things, but you're not actually choosing what's better. How do we choose what's better? How do we live a better life? Jesus, I came to give you life to the full. If you just, if you follow my rhythm, you will discover something different than the rest of culture. How do I do that? Can I give you the secret? Here's what I think this secret is. The secret to creating a better life is creating more margin. I'm gonna say it again because some of you haven't figured out how important this one thing is. The secret to creating a better life is creating more margin. By the way, um, here's what I think most of us think. We think, well, one day when things slow down, 
One day when we make this much money and we have a little bit extra, one day, when we, can I just tell you that day will never come. Margin does not just magically make its way into your schedule. You have to create the space. Do you understand what I'm saying? It will not just magically appear. And if you want to experience a better life, you have to create margin. Now, here's what I want to do in the remainder of our time. I want to share, this is going to be real practical. I want to share three areas that I believe are critical. Now, there are, you, I believe we need margin in every area of your life. And so here's what I would say. If you go, do I need margin in this area, pastor? Here's the question to ask. Are you stressed and overwhelmed about that thing often? The answer is yes, you need more margin, okay? But I wanna share three areas that I've seen in my life, something that God's always been working and I really believe that they're absolutely critical to experiencing a better life. The first one is this, margin for relationships. Here's the thing, and and we don't operate this way as a culture because we think that we're, um, we're machines and we think that we're made to achieve and accomplish and build and conquer. But can I just tell you, before we did any of that, God created us for relationship. That at your core, you crave relationship. You can get to the top of the mountain, but if you're alone, you'll be miserable. It's because you and I were made for it. And you look in the Genesis account, we were made first and foremost for relationship with God. And then when God saw man was alone, he said, that's not good. I need to make him a helper. I need to make a companion. I need to make him. And, and, we, and then we see the model. Listen, Genesis 2, 3, and 4 is a model of family. God saw man was alone, made a wife. God was in relationship with them. They had children. I mean, this is that we were made and designed for relationship. And here's the thing. Even the son of God himself, when he came to this earth, he would make time, margin in his day, in his life, to connect with his heavenly father. I love it. Luke 5, verse 16 tells us this, this reality. It says this, that, but Jesus often, everybody say often. How often should you create margin to connect with God? Often. How often should you create margin in your life or relationship? Often. He often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. What was he doing? He was prioritizing his relationship with his Father in heaven. Because we were made for it. Now, here's the thing I find the most fascinating, and you will get this immediately, and you'll be like, oh, this is so true. Here's what I've discovered. The most important relationships tend to get the least amount of time. Would you agree? The most important relationships to us end up getting the least amount of time. We end up taking for granted the most important things. You know, if you ask a person, maybe in this audience, as you ask a person who's in the church and What's the most important relationship in your life? 99% of the times, the, the real Christian answer will be, well, Jesus, God. We say God's the most important relationship. What's interesting is that most of us can't even carve out five minutes to sit alone with Jesus. I mean, I, I, mean, we, I, I pray, I do it while I'm brushing my teeth. It's just this time that me and God really have together. It's amazing. I'm sure God loves it when you, I'm sure he loves, it's just his favorite times connecting with you and Colgate. And and I'm not saying this to like condemn anybody because I struggle with this too, but isn't it interesting that we'll say God is the most important thing in my life, but then he often gets the least amount of time every day. Because here's what we do. The most important relationships in our life, we end up taking for granted the most. 
And so if, if it's not God, then you would ask somebody, okay, well, what's next most important? And then most people that are married would say their spouse. My spouse is most important person in my life. And yet, let's be honest, that we'll go through life and we'll spend less and less time with our spouse. Because when we were dating, ooh, you couldn't keep us away. Mm-mm, we were together 24-7. When we, weren't, we were on the phone or we were texting or we FaceTime because you could not keep us away. And then all of a sudden, we've been married for a little bit. And next thing you know, we're kind of like managing the house together. Whenever I hear people say, you know, well, we got a divorce and, and it's because we grew apart. I say, no, you didn't prioritize each other. There's no such thing as growing apart. It's you didn't, inve- you didn't choose to invest in each other. This is also why a lot of times um, you'll see people in- end up getting divorced as soon as their kids move out of the house. It's because they spent the last 25 years of their marriage together giving their children all the priority of time. Whenever I hear someone say, my kids are my world, I think to myself, you are wrapped around the wrong source. And so we wonder why husband and wife feel like strangers after 25 years instead of best friends. It's because we, God my spouse, my kids, if you're a parent, to my kids, right? They're the most important. And, and I, I get that. I really do. But what's interesting today is, and, and I, I want to be real careful because this is the greatest golden idol in America is our children. This is not going to be popular. I, I know it right now. So I'm going to say, forgive me. You just write, say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Just forgive me, ignore this part. If your kids are like, if they are your idol, ignore me for this part, okay? But, but we are so busy with our children and, and we've allowed them to take the lead, whatever they wanna do. And they're running, and, and it's different today than it was when I was a kid. Like, okay, I, I wanna just mention sports for a moment. And I, I love sports, okay? I played sports growing up. My kids played, so I'm not anti-sports, okay? Please don't hear that. But when I was growing up, to play a sport was like, oh, you wanna, you wanna play, you know, baseball? It's from this month to this month, and there's a couple practices at rec league, and then there's like a game over this. And we did that, and we played sports, and it was fun. Today, kids don't get to play sports for fun. That doesn't exist. You have a 10-year-old, if they want to play soccer, it's year-round. Because then there's fall season and then there's spring season. You got to get them in both. And, and when they're not doing that, then there's off-season training. And we have personal trainers we're sending our 10-year-olds to because they're going to be the next NFL star. More than likely not. No, I love it. I love it because... Your kid's going to be captain. Your kid's going to be the best one on the team. But somehow we think that running them from place to place and sport to sport and take them from school and then they got this activity and they're actually doing a couple sports so then we got to get them over here and all of our kids are doing that. And we think when we get a McDonald's and we throw it in the back seat because we're going from place to place and then we get home to do homework and then we tuck them in bed and we think, man, that was, boy, we had such great family time together today. When we were in the car driving, it was just like, yeah, I was... Listen, I, I know what it's like. My wife and I, our two daughters, they, they did, my, my youngest, she did gymnastics like nearly full time. Like we, we homeschooled her for, or my wife, I should say, homeschooled her uh, for a little bit. And she did gymnastics. So I, I understand that world, please. 
But, but the problem is, is that we think it's normal because everyone's doing it. But what we don't realize is that you might not want your family to turn out like everybody else around you who's doing all the same things. And if you live the same as everyone else, you may end up with the same result as everyone else. And so we can't see that when we're in the middle of it. And we think they're going to be this great big sports hero. You know what I'd rather? I'd rather know that I have a real relationship and connection with my children that's actually more important. You know, you know what research has proven over and over again? This is research, and this is not by faith-based. Research keeps proving that one of the most significant things that you can do for the health and the well-being of your children and your family unit, listen, is to have dinner together, at least one meal seated around a table, no devices, no TV, just around a table connecting with each other. Research has shown that actually kids end up healthier, they eat healthier, they have better emotional health, and the family unit actually gets stronger. For all the busyness and running around that we did, I'll tell you that's one thing that I feel like we did fairly well. My wife was so great at always we're going to make a meal and have a meal and we sit down together. And what you don't realize is all those little moments turn into actually something that you really want later in life when they grow up. How do, how do I do this? Um, how do I prioritize relationships? Here, here's just a little suggestion. Limit the amount of activities you as a family do. I know it's not popular. I'm talking about different Limit the amount of activities you do. Limit the amount of things that you let your kid be in. You can do that. It's not child abuse. <laughs> I, I know, I've known some families that their, their kids are, you know, can I tell you one of the worst sports? I don't want to just say this because some of you are um, Baseball. Travel baseball. There are some families that we would say goodbye to in May and we might see in August if not by Christmas, that some of them got so out of the rhythm of actually being a part of, by the way, can I tell you what other, what other relationship matters? Your faith community matters. I, I would rather have my kids grow up where they have relationships with other kids who are actually trying to follow Jesus than to have like someone who's fairly good at baseball in high school. I got three people that are excited about that. Listen, every, now listen, you're a teenager, you play baseball, you're like, I'm not happy with this. I'm not saying don't, I'm just saying limit. One of the things that we did, this is just, this is, I'm just telling you what we did. You do what you, this is not biblical. This is just our personal advice. We let our kids play a sport, but they only were allowed to play one sport at a time. That's it. And we had off seasons. There were busy times, but there was also off seasons. It's important. Um, saying no is hard, but saying no to even good things will enable you to experience better things. Mary has chosen what is better. So margin for your relationships. Can I just tell you, put that top of your list, margin for your relationships. The second area is this, margin for our finances. If the thing that we're most stressed about, let's be honest, 59% of Americans say their greatest fear is running out of, a, out of money. And we always think the answer is to get more of it. But here's what I found. I get more and then I spend more. Get more, we have a better lifestyle. That's fine. I get it. I get all that. 
But if we never understand the power of margin in our finances, we will live stressed all the time. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs 21, verse 20. I love this verse. Here's what it says. In the house of the wise are what? Everybody say it. Are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man does what? What's a foolish man do? Devours it all. What's wise? Wise is whatever comes in net. I don't consume it all. I don't spend it all. I don't eat it all away. I don't. Here's what I do. I'm the wise person, stores up, saves it. I'm talking about saving. Saves some of it back. Now, why do we save? We talked a little bit last week about the importance of saving. We, we talked about debt. If you were here and, and we talked about the, the saving, you, you start with an emergency fund. Why? Because unexpected things happen. There's nothing more stressful than when all of a sudden you have a medical bill and you have no money to pay for it, but you got to get it fixed. That is stress. So what do we do? We're going to start with $1,000. We're going to get an emergency fund. If you need help with this, don't just take the simple stuff I say. You go to Next Steps a day. You register for Financial Peace University like more than uh, 25 people have already. You take a step into this because this will, I'm telling you, it'll take, it'll add years to your life because of your mental health. I think one of the reasons why, let's be honest, we struggle with saving. Did you know about 26% of Americans say they have zero savings at all? Zero. I think one of the reasons why we might struggle with saving money is because we don't understand the purpose of saving. Maybe you were told when you were a kid and mom and dad said, oh, you got $5, go put $2 in your piggy bank. Why do I have to keep feeding the pig? Just because we save money. But, but never really explained, no, this is for you to enjoy. I'm, I'm gonna teach you discipline because then there's gonna be something you're gonna want and it's gonna cost a lot of money and you're gonna have it because you saved. Listen, the purpose, I think so many of us, when we think of saving, we're like, it's miserable. I hate saving. I felt that way for most of my life about retirement. The thought of putting away money for Decades from that sounds awful. You know when it won't sound awful? When I want to retire. Saving margin your finances is for fun. It's for good stuff. It's the fun stuff. It's not paying the bills. It's for the fun stuff. Um, Just last year, my wife and I, we were celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary, which was an exciting feat. And I think she still loves me and... Kids are moving out and we still want to be together. So, so far, something's working. And um, I knew 25th anniversary was coming. It was a big one. So guess what I started doing? Saving money to buy her a ring, another ring. I bought her. This would be ring three, okay? Keep buying her rings. And I'm, okay, ladies. All right. I hear you. We hear you. Guys, pay attention. So I said, you know what was so beautiful? Is I was able to buy her a ring and surprise her with a ring that I know she really wanted. And guess what? I didn't have the stress of adding it to a credit card. I didn't have the stress of going, how long is it going to be before we pay it off? I didn't have the stress of adding on another bill that we already can't afford in our monthly finances. Why? Because we say saving money is for fun. Some people don't understand, what do I save for? Save, don't just for save for emergency funds. That's not fun. But we like to save for vacation. You know what? There's nothing better than vacation money. It's fake. 
Vacation money that you have is play money. So when you go on vacation, you're like, I don't care. Let's just drop hundreds. We can have fun because it's fake money. It's not really fake money, okay? But it's money that you save to have fun. So can I just give you maybe a real quick model, and then we're going to move on, and we'll be done. This is just what I would give as a real quick model. This is real simplistic for how to create margin in your finances. Here's what I would, this is kind of a model I followed. This is what I would encourage you to do. Uh, the first 10% goes to God. I give him the first fruits and I won't touch it. It's his. I'm happy to walk in his favor and I know that ni- my 90% with his blessing is better than 100% on my own. So the first fruits, the tithe, I give that to him. I don't touch it. That's the first thing I do with the 100%. Ten, first 10% goes to God. Then the second, here's what some experts will say. And I'll, and I'll start this a little low. The next 10% you save. What I have tried, I haven't always been able to do this. I've actually tried to operate by a model of saving 20. Give 10, save 20. Give 10, save. Now, if you get, that seem, might seem like a lot. You start, start smaller. But here's, what, here's a minimum of where I'm, I'm going to encourage you to go. Give 10, first 10 to God. Second 10, minimum, save. What are you saving for? I'm not just emergency fund. I'm also saving for Christmas that's coming up and I'm saving for uh, anniversary gifts and I'm saving for my kids who want to play sports and I'm saving, you, you save 10. 10. 10 is good, 20 is better. If you can do it. Where do you get 20 from? Well, the Bible, you, you get this guy named Joseph who actually bailed Egypt out of a massive problem because in the good years, he saved 20% back and it sustained him through the really hard years. Now I understand kind of extreme to go through that, but... Life happens. So the best model, 10, 20, live on 70. 10, 20, live on 70. That means your regular bills, the mortgage, the food, the this and that, the car, live on that, live on that. If you could do a simple model, and some of you are young, think about this now. I'm telling you, you know what it does? It allows you to breathe. It allows you to not freak out when you get a bill in the mail. It allows you to not have to go, are we gonna be able to pay the mortgage this month? See, that's not a full life. I don't want to live that way. Margin for relationships, margin for our finances. And the last one is margin for our soul. This is probably the most overlooked one. Margin for our soul. What's interesting is that when God created the world, and I know you know the the biblical narrative is six days that he created And on the seventh day, God did something interesting, right? Genesis 2, verse 2 says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he did what? He he rested from all his work. Boy, God must have been tired after all that making. An infinite God must have been just exhausted after creating. No, I don't think he was tired. I think he was demonstrating what's at the core of the model of life that he created. What's interesting, I've heard someone say this before, that if we were made on the sixth day, that the very first full day of our existence was a day of rest. The very first day of the week is a day of rest, a day of connecting with God. Maybe that's what God intended for life to be. When God created this world in nature, he built it with rest in mind. That when things are sprouting and producing and crops are coming and they 
produced, then there's a season of resting. There's, when I think about the beach, you like going to the beach? The beach is restful. Do you know what the beach, yeah. The beach wouldn't be restful if there wasn't both ebb and flow. If all there was was wave crashing one after another, no one would get in it. But God created ebb and flow in life. Listen, every farmer knows this reality. You can't keep putting crops and growing crops in the same dirt over and over again because otherwise the nutrients is depleted. So you have to rest the field, rest the dirt so that it can be replenished. Now, can I just ask you this? Okay, if, if the dirt needs it, how much more do you think your soul needs it? If the dirt needs it, don't you think your body needs it? Yeah, because God was showing us, he was modeling for us the rhythm of rest in our lives. And I think, um, just to be transparent, I think I'm the type of person that is go, go, go all the time. Like, I've joked about this, I don't need caffeine and I don't need coffee I'm, I wake up, my mind is going, what can I do? I've got a list of things that I would love to accomplish and achieve. I'm that, I'm an Enneagram three. I'm that run after it kind of person. And God began to show me something a few years ago that my life is outpacing my soul. And God has been doing a lot of what I call soul work on me. And I'm trying to discover what it is to be a son of God and not just try to make the father happy by what I can do for him. That's been hard for me to like figure out. It's because I, I, I can work for God without resting. And so one of the things I've tried, and I'm not perfect at it, but I try to implement a Sabbath type rest where I'm not working on ministry. I'm not doing this. And it's honestly been one of the, great joys for my wife and I would just go out to eat on her day off when kids were in school or we do a project together and there's something about the reconnecting that is so important in life I I, I wanted to get away from distractions so I had margin to create some of the things that I really felt God was calling me to do guess what I had to do I had to say no to some things in order to say yes to something that's better for over a year now I know some of you will see posts and you'll think is I have not been on social media for over a year. I haven't. No, I've got a social media team and there are things that I've wanted to post and I give it to them and they'll post it. And I know social media, we use it for communication and I stay in communication connection, but I don't get on, I don't scroll. And I don't say that to say, if you do it, it's wrong. I just recognized that my mind was distracted by many things and I had a desire to, to do some things and create something, and I didn't have the margin. And so I had to figure out how to create margin. And you know what's coming out of it? I'm becoming different. I'm a different person than I was a few years ago. I'm becoming more em- empathetic. I'm seeing life differently. I'm seeing ministry different. I'm, I'm, I, my dreams and goals for this place and our community is changing to an extent. I'm still, I'm still passionate about helping people get on the path to God and the gospel ours be our priority. But, but there's things that have been changing in me. Can I tell you why? It's because I started to create margin for my soul. I don't know if you're weary, if you're tired. 
I know this. Here's what Jesus said. I want to close with this, and we're going to pray. Jesus said in Matthew 10, Come to me, all who are weary, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I wonder if some of you today, maybe you're taking all this in, but maybe in this moment, the thing you recognize you need most is rest for your soul. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.